0: The other week, we had my colleague Matt Vela on the show, the FD Weekend magazine editor. And during our conversation, he brought up a new novel coming out by one of his favorite authors. He was really excited about it.
1: And it's like a mystery about a therapy clown and an assassin or something like that. Cannot wait. I have never laughed out loud so much to the point of people around me worrying that um, maybe I was having a medical condition, uh, as I have <laughs> when I read her previous
0: books. Matt is talking about the new novel from the writer Laurie Moore. It's called I Am Homeless If This Is Not My Home. And if his description sounds wacky, it's wacky. There is a therapy clown and an assassin. And at its core, it's the story of a man taking a road trip with the animated corpse of his former lover. So it's a love story. And it's also a meditation on loss and grief. Laurie herself has really been enjoying watching all of us try to describe this book.
1: Somebody in the press called it tender and gross, <laughs> which I thought was funny. Yeah. Because I hadn't seen those two words put together before. But I thought, yeah, that's probably right. It's tender and gross. Yeah, it is,
0: <laughs> it is tender and gross. It's somehow gruesome and beautiful um, at the well, same that's,
1: time. Well, that's good. Gruesome yeah. and beautiful is probably what I was aiming for.
0: Lori Moore is one of the most esteemed short story writers of our time. She's known for sweeping in just one paragraph, from impossibly funny to devastating, and back. Lori has been prolific over her 40-year writing career, but her fans have missed her. This is her first book of new literature in 10 years, and her first novel in even longer. Today, she joins us to talk about it. This is FT Weekend. I'm Lila Reptopoulos. Laurie, welcome to FT Weekend. It's such a pleasure to have you. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) Um, I would love to start um, by just jumping into your new novel, I Am Homeless If This Is Not My Home. It is your first in 14 years, um, and it's been described as a horror comedy, but that doesn't feel quite right to me. What would you say the book is about?
1: Um... Well, I would say say it's a love story and and sort of a ghost story and sort of a metaphorical ghost story about things returning and things resurrecting themselves. Um, It doesn't really quite conform to any genre, so it's a little um, genre-bending, I guess. But I think of it as primarily a kind of love story that's sad Mm. But there is comedy in it because the world has comedy in it and you you just have to get that down. Um, You can't ignore it.
0: It's also a beautiful title. Oh, thank you. Can you you. tell me about using the title?
1: Well, uh, the title was my working title. And when I was using it, I thought of it as a sort of blues song title. Mm. You know, it does sound like, you know... Uh, Like you could set it to music, like, I'm homeless if this is not my home. But it also meant to embody or suggest people who are not quite comfortable in the world. Mm. And so it was really alluding to the spaces between life and death. It sort of announces a slight feeling of, um, I've got to make the best of this because... um, I have nowhere else.
0: The bulk of this novel is set in 2016, around the time of Donald Trump's presidential campaign. A pretty lonely high school teacher named Finn learns that his ex-girlfriend Lily has died by suicide. You realize that the book is magical realist when Finn finds Lily in a graveyard, and he isn't surprised to see her actively decomposing while she's talking to him. She tells him she wants to be buried somewhere else. So they head off in his car. The main character, Finn, is on a road trip with the corpse of his ex-lover, who's (laughs) recently died. (laughs) And the way that you describe her body, she sounds sort of horrifying, but he's not horrified. He's very loving. And the road trip that they go on feels very sweet and intimate and funny. Um, Sometimes they muse on life. Sometimes they hold each other. Sometimes they fight. Um I'd love to hear a little bit more about why you wanted to have a novel that centered around such a long interaction between the living and the dead or the living and the Well, I th- say I think dead. that's
1: part of grieving. Mm. Um and I think that's part of losing someone that you go into a kind of denial. I mean many people speak of that after someone has died they think they've seen them walking down the street. Yeah. Um and so I wanted that slight ambiguity. I mean I think neither one of them quite knows whether mm. Lily is whether she's dead or not and because she says I guess I'm death adjacent. Yeah. But I did want to have somebody, so it would be Finn, grappling with someone he loved who had killed herself. Mm-hmm. And that can't be resolved, and it isn't really resolved in the book Yeah, um, because he can't quite understand it. And it, it it is very hard in real life for people to understand. And she doesn't quite bother to explain it.
0: She almost feels like it isn't his... Business. Business, yeah. Yeah. It's her body. Like
1: that it's her illness, it's her thing, this is what she did, that he's never going to get it. Right. But that's part of what they're doing on the road trip, trying to explore that a little bit.
0: There's this like push-pull, I felt, to Finn's grief that um, I wanted to ask you about. He feels like a guy who's a little stubborn and he felt a little stuck in the past to me. Like, he's kind of unable to live in the reality of the present. Uh, And when he goes on this road trip with Lily, he leaves his real dying brother's side to do it. Um, Like, he leaves somebody who's actually not dead yet (laughs) to go on this sort of maybe fantasy trip with this woman who has died. And I found that kind of sad. And... It made me kind of wonder if that's just what grief is. Like, Is does it reflect what a lot of us do when we're grieving? We just kind of like can't let go.
1: <laughs> it also reflects a little bit what love is, that love is a big distraction. Yeah. That love doesn't always lead to doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least romantic love, we'll say. Mm-hmm. We'll say romantic love can be, you know, a boondoggle, really, right. ethically and morally. And he, I think, comes to realize that sort of at the end. Mm -hmm.
0: Another thing this novel explores is the importance of gray areas and why maybe we shouldn't trust narratives that feel too clean or too black and white. Finn is partial to conspiracy theories and Trump is being elected in the background. So Finn's paranoia sort of reflects the distrust many people had that year about what was real and what wasn't. You know, I also felt... When I was reading the novel, um, that there was this flow, like there were these places where Finn is comfortable with two conflicting things being true at once, like how his dying brother could want to live while his ex-lover wanted to die, um, or he's even comfortable, you know, hanging out with someone who is dead or alive at the same time, Mm -hmm. um, uh, he even says all things are true at, mm-hmm. at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also kind of reflects the way we don't want it to be complicated. Like, we'd prefer reality to be something neat that we can control. Um, uh, we want to get why someone would want to die. We want to know if the moon landing really happened. We want to know someone's dead and then mourn them and then move on in a kind of compact period of time. Um I don't know. I I imagine that's something that you think about. I'm curious. Well, you're right.
1: And I think most, most histories or stories of anything give you a, a sort of, you know, a flat, objective account um mm, easy and, to digest kind of right and there but there i think he likes to i mean he even says he wants his students to you know look around the corners of things he doesn't he doesn't say there was never a moon landing he's just right. he's just questioning the very first one right which went off without a hitch and then they all <laughs> the other ones had Problems, but uh, so he doesn't. Que- he doesn't. He. It's interesting. He doesn't question any of the ones that have problems. <laughs> right, right. He questions right, right. the what the very first one that c- apparently had no problems. So he thought that's suspicious. So he's a, he's clearly thinking that reality is problems. Yeah, and that if something doesn't have problems, maybe there's maybe that's not quite real. Yeah.
0: How do you think about that?
1: the mo- the moon landing no no <laughs> I think I think something with problems is real mm-hmm. I mean that that yeah and yeah. if something has no problems I think we're probably not getting the full story yeah
0: Laurie this is your first novel in many years um and I imagine that whatever characters you choose in a novel you're committing to spend a lot of time with them um in the writing process, and uh, these are quite sad people in some ways. I'm curious why you chose them. Um, but you know, I, I suppose they came
1: to me rather than <laughs> than my coming to them. Mm-hmm. I think of all my work as having a sort of downcast <laughs> aspect. And, of course, I get accused of writing funny books. (laughs) Um, And there is humor always, as we were talking about. There's always humor in the world, no matter how sad the story. But I thought, I'm really going to write something that's really sad now. (laughs) And it's going to be about sadness. And it's going to be about grief and mourning. I think at at a certain age, you start to know a lot of people who have died. Mm. And you, you, you try to sort of figure out, how, did, how does one process this? Yeah. That these people who you love so much are just gone? Yeah. How can that be?
0: Laurie has written three other novels, and she's also known for her many, many short stories. She's been compared to writers like Chekhov and Alice Monroe. And she's a master of writing about the unsaid. Lori will observe small things in everyday interactions, and then find just the right words and just the right cadence for them on the page. Um, It seems to me uh, that in a lot of your writing, your characters can seem sort of frustrated with the limits of language, like they're struggling with how to communicate with each other, and they have witty banter, but they're not always saying exactly what they mean sometimes, and that can be hard for them. And you're such a lyrical writer. Um, I almost feel you having fun with language in your writing. It's one of my favorite things about your writing. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm curious how you feel about language. If you I, feel do,
1: I do feel sometimes, it depends on what the situation is between the characters, but sometimes there's a, a you know, a kind of deliberate indirection. Mm-hmm. I do think... People sometimes find it's hard to say what they'd really like to say Mm -hmm. to someone. And I think in this novel with Finn and Lily, he postpones what he really wants to say until the end. Um, But I think there's a lot of postponing with relationships, don't you? There are a lot of relationships you have in life where the thing you really want to say, you you, you know you can't, you're waiting for a moment when you yeah. can say it or a situation or some kind of conversation where this can be put in. But but it may come, it may not. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: That's true. Yeah. A lot of life is holding back holding things back. that you're not quite ready to say.
1: <laughs> right. Or the other person you, you're
0: quite Sure, is not ready to hear. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes the whole thing can seem so exhausting that it's <laughs> easier not to do it. Um, has your relationship or how has your relationship with language changed?
1: I don't I don't know if my relationship to language has changed. I've always been interested in poetic language. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always been interested in dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um and I think both those things have been in my work from the beginning. I love getting characters in a room or in a space talking. Yeah. Um and that that comes from a love of theater, I think. Mm. I love I love plays. Yeah. And I love dinner parties cuz they're like plays that you're in.
0: That's true. Yeah. There's a pitter-patter to a dinner party. Yeah. It's kind of a musicality,
1: too. Yeah, it. and there can be tension, mm-hmm. just like in a play. There's tension, and a dinner party there can be tension. Mm-hmm. I always say when I'm at a dinner party where the tension starts to happen and someone tries to <laughs> subdue it, I say, "No, the best dinner parties have a little bit of tension. <laughs> Those are the ones that are memorable." Now you don't want you know it to go overboard, right? But a little tension is very revealing, yes. and um. It's also, what narrative artists do,
0: yeah. So. We recently interviewed uh Georgi Gasparinov oh, on the show. I love him, yeah. He recently wrote the International Booker and he talked about voice and his writing like mm-hmm. it was he was sneaking poetry into his prose because mm-hmm. people don't buy poetry anymore and it was his way of being <laughs> a poet. So oh, <laughs> and you know, there's this musicality to your voice that's so strong and. Um. uh there's sort of a cadence and a rhythm to it, as you were saying. Oh, even thank the, you, thank you for saying dialogue. it, because
1: I do hear it that way. Yeah, I do. You know, he and I, he and I were were fellows at the Common Center mm. when I was researching this book, and
0: he. Oh wow! You were you were working on yes. your books at the same time. Um, So do you feel the way Georgi does? Like, I'm curious mostly about the musicality of your writing. Are you hearing it as you're writing it?
1: Yes, yes. It's not... It's not a sound I can reproduce by reading it out loud. There are many writers who read their work out loud and then they can hear it. That's not what I'm writing to. So Mm -hmm. when I'm reading aloud, I'm often hearing something that's different from what I'm actually aiming for. I'm aiming for something that my inner ear, my mind's ear hears. Mm. And so it's probably... it's probably a musical kind of ear, mm. and I am writing to that ear.
0: You know, Laurie, your work is so beloved, and in 2020, Every Man published an edition of your collected stories, very beautiful oh, yes. one, and uh, it's an honor usually reserved for dead writers. <laughs> I felt a little dead, I have to say. I was wondering, <laughs> what was that like? Like, how do you kind of place uh, it? It
1: felt a little posthumous, <laughs> and I thought, I'm not dead yet. (laughs) I really have other books and I'm going to show them I have other things. Yeah. And so this, (laughs) here I am.
0: (laughs) My last question, Laurie, is just what are you thinking about now? Like what's rolling around in your mind creatively? Are there themes that you're thinking about for the next project? What are you willing to share?
1: Well, I just spent four months in Berlin. Mm. And so I have a Berlin themed uh, narrative that I'm thinking about. Mm. And so that will be my next, my next piece of narrative. Now, whether it will be long or short, I don't know, but it was really a fantastic experience to Mm. be there for four months. What a tragic and unusual city Mm -hmm. it is in terms of, in terms of history. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't something I had really given a lot of thought to, but it, I'm giving a lot of thought to it now. Yeah.
0: Um, Laurie, thank you. This has been a real honor. Oh,
1: well, thank you for having me on. That's great.
0: That's the show this week. Thank you for listening to FT Weekend, the life and arts podcast of the Financial Times. A few relevant links are in the show notes. And just so you know, every link that you click there that goes to FT.com will get you past the paywall. If you want to explore more of our website, we have really great trial and subscription offers. Those are at FT.com slash weekend podcast. Make sure to use that link. As you know, we really love hearing from you. You can email us at ftweekendpodcast at ft.com. The show is on Twitter at ftweekendpod, And I am on Instagram and Twitter, but mostly Instagram, talking to you, at Lila Rapp. Next week, we are talking to my colleague Henry Mance about what it takes to fight wildfires. And he learned a lot, and the field is changing, and it's fascinating. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, and here's my talented team. Katya Kimkova is our senior producer. Lulu Smith is our producer. Molly Nugent is our contributing producer. Our sound engineers are Breen Turner and Sam Javinko, with original music by Metaphor Music. Topher Forges is our executive producer and our global head of audio is Cheryl Brumley. Special shout out this week to Lulu Smith. Have a wonderful weekend and we'll find each other again next week.